Welcome to The Art of Hunting, a podcast that explores the world of wildlife art through the eyes of one of the industry's most talented creators, Ryan Kirby. So whether you're a fellow artist, designer, hunter, or simply someone who appreciates the beauty of the natural world, join us on The Art of Hunting with Ryan Kirby and discover the passion and dedication that drives him. Well, you're also sick. You should probably not talk so much. <laughs> oh, I can talk. I'm like, I got like a smoker's voice today. Yeah, you sound like <laughs> Episode, what are we at? Six? six? Yeah, I do feel like, <clears throat> I do feel like I need an ashtray right here with <laughs> just a cigarette, just smoke billowing up Lord. here the whole time. Lord. <laughs> Marlboro Reds. Yeah. The good stuff. <laughs> Marble reds. Ugh. I don't smoke, so I don't know anything about cigarettes. Yeah, I, I didn't. I never cigar really did one either. Time, but that was. I I once. do remember um, back in the days, like you know, I was born in '82, so I remember going into Pizza Hut and they had the smoking and non-smoking section. Yeah. Which the only difference was whether you wanted an ashtray on your table or not, because <laughs> the smoke was everywhere. You know, <laughs> it's just like, do you want an ashtray or not? Yeah. Yeah, I, I smoked a cigar one time with Eli, yeah. my brother. <laughs> he taught me how. <laughs> you, you know where we were? We were at the fo- we were on a football trip in Texas. Yeah. I think it was. I think that was Texas. It was Texas or Louisiana. Yeah. And he's like, he said, Madison, you should try this. And I was like, No, it's terrible for you. He's like, It's a cigar. He's like, It's not gonna do anything. Yeah. But I still was like, buzzed from it. I didn't, it was weird. And I was like, this is a weird sensation. I, I think it's cool that Dave Owens does the, the cigars after killing a turkey. No. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy now, um, Mad Dog, you've probably never heard of him, but Dave mm-hmm. Owens, he's got the Pinotti Project. He's a cool dude. And uh, he just likes to take his time after killing a turkey, and they sit around and smoke a cigar at the base of the tree with a dead turkey every time. And just kind of Oh, my chill gosh. Out I get it. it now. There's a guy that posted or did his custom turkey order and sent in a picture of him and his buddies doing yeah. that after they killed. Okay. Uh-huh. I that, yeah. Shout out to what's his, I think his name was Eli. Yeah. Or Elijah. I don't know. Shout there out to go. you. Shout out. That I get it now, sir. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody did it before Dave, so maybe he started a trend. Oh, wow. Interesting. I did not know that. Hmm. So, turkey conservation. So, what's behind you, Ryan? Behind me? Oh. <laughs> Conveniently, there's, there's a painting set up behind me. Um well, we're, we're, we wanted to do a little episode talking about turkey conservation and art's role in that. And we mentioned on an, easier, on an earlier episode that art has been a huge source of fundraising for conservation groups. Um, a lot of the groups, one of their primary ways of, of fundraising is, is banquets all across the country. I grew up going to them. I was actually donating to Turkey Federation banquets when I was like 14. Aww. They were having me do um, – I would do – like a, a sketch of a turkey for their uh, program cover. And then they would put that on the program cover for their banquet, and then they would auction off the the original sketch. Um, so I was doing that when I was 14, 15, 16, all the way through, even through college, I helped them out mm-hmm. on that kind of stuff. Um, 
But anyway, they 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 choose art. A lot of these national conservation groups choose art that they think will sell well at their banquets. They make a print of them. They get them printed and framed. The artist signs and numbers the edition, and then they put them up for auction at these at these groups. And then they pay the artist a royalty based on how many they print. So, um, and then and art historically has been a really profitable item for them. You know, there's not a ton of overhead in them for what some of these pieces can auction for. So there's a good margin, and that money goes to conservation. So cool. Yep. So and this one is called uh, Sons of Thunder. And I can get Zach, I can get you some screen grabs to put up over this. So if you're on podcast, go watch us on YouTube (laughs) and uh, we'll put some stuff up. But um, most of my best turkey art in in, in art in general, but but turkeys because you're on the ground with them. You're in the setting that you're going to paint the turkeys. Like in a deer stand, you're up 20 feet up in the air. You're a lot of times not seeing the deer at their level, but turkeys, you're eye level with them. So I get a lot of inspiration from the turkey woods, and you're also up moving a lot between setups and stuff. So we had set up on the top of a ridge, and these two long beards, they pitched off down the other side of the mountain. And if you've hunted in the mountains on private property, you can you realize when they pitch off the roost, they may sail to the bottom of a valley, and you're out of the game. We were hoping they'd pitch on our ridge, and we could, we could shoot them then. Uh, but they sailed off the mountainside. They were we were out of the game early, and as we were getting up to move to the the next spot, I turned around and I saw this setting, and it had an old old log in there, kind of covered with moss. Um, and I loved it because of the structure, the way the light was hitting it, because it was up on top of a mountain, it was getting a lot of sunlight, and I loved the scene. And as an artist, what you're trying to do, the challenge is. You're trying to convey a larger scene on a small square or rectangle canvas. So a lot of times you have to pick and choose what you want to include. So, for example, if if I'm painting a swamp scene, I can't paint the entire swamp like I see it in real time. I've got to choose this sort of the cypress knees and the stumps and the water and I can tell a bigger scene. Like if I show you um, cypress knees and stumps, you know it's a swamp. I don't have to paint the whole thing. So you have to be selective about how you choose your scenery to tell the larger story of the landscape. Because I can't paint the whole landscape in a panoramic view. I've got to choose a snippet of that. And the thing that I liked about this piece is it has the, the moss-covered log. Um, it's obviously a hardwood ridge. You can tell by the leaves. Um, it drops away in the background and you can see some of the the blue sky in the top right um, and the other mountainside. So right away, you can tell this is sort of a rolling ridge, hardwood ridge, mountains, uh, could be Ozarks, could be Appalachian Mountains, could just be a a ridge in farm country. So it, it helps you see the scene from there. When I got back in the, my studio, I bought the turkey reference from Tess Jolly, who's a super good turkey photographer. And I basically photoshopped the turkeys in and painted the scene how I wanted it, like I wished it would have happened in real life. But it didn't that day. So uh, that's kind of cool as an artist. If, if things don't work out in the field, you can paint them how you wish they were, would have mm-hmm. worked out. Um, so I painted this one and sold the original to a guy that's bought several pieces before um, in Kentucky. And the Turkey Federation then, I submitted it to the Turkey Federation. 
for for consideration into their core package. They chose it, and it got to be a really really popular piece. Um, I, my buddy Zach is an RD. We were we were talking about how much it potentially raised, and he was saying it went for about. He looked at back in his old records, and it went for about three hundred fifty five dollars on average. At, wow. at banquets that's what it auctioned for so we kind of backed out the math and you can conservatively say it raised between five and six hundred thousand dollars wow at, at banquets so half a million dollars no question um for conservation and what i what i like is i always tell people i feel like i can help out i worked as a designer at the turkey federation for those who don't know and I feel like I can do more raising money for turkey conservation through art than I ever could as a full-time staffer there. Um, you know, I can potentially do a piece that could raise a half a million dollars for them. I wasn't doing that as a designer in a cubicle there. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty cool sort of a full circle part of my career is that even though I've grown up and moved on, I can probably do more good now than I did then working for them. Nice. What's the, how'd you get the name for it? I know it's like, isn't it a biblical reference? Yeah, it's a biblical res- reference. They talk about the sons of thunder. Um, and I'm, I'm sick and my brain is foggy, so I can't <laughs> remember the two, uh, the two disciples. Uh, was it James like, and John? Yeah, They were the sons of thunder? I, something like that. I'm pretty sure that's who it was. Um, and anybody that's hunted two-year-old lonely wild turkeys in the spring, and Madison doesn't know, so we're going to back this out a little bit. Um, <laughs> Your your dominant bird is going to breed a lot of hens. He's going to have a lot of hens around him. A lot of times, um, a Jake is a Jake his first year, but he's a full grown adult turkey for his first time. So these are a couple teenagers, and they're loud. They 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 want to breed, but they don't really know what they're doing yet. <laughs> and they they want to have a girlfriend, but they don't know how to go about it. And they're not there yet in the hierarchy of the turkey. Uh, woods so they're loudmouth two-year-olds and most of the time those are the turkeys that are harvested by hunters because they're loud and they're desperate <laughs> and they have target on their back desperate. so uh so sons of thunder a lot of times you'll get a couple two-year-olds on a ridge like this and they will they'll gobble simultaneously a lot of times and you'll be like is that two turkeys or one really loud one you know and you just and a lot of times one will gobble and the other will gobble and they'll kind of play off of each other so that's why I called it Sons of Thunder. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Uh, did it raise, I don't know. I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? You said, exactly. <laughs> you said something about populations so, or. Well, so, so, and, and the way that works is um, they have banquets all over the country. And I believe at that time the Turkey Fed had, I think we made 1,800 prints of this. So the Turkey Federation picks how you know they have a rough idea of how many banquets they're going to have and each banquet gets the same set of art they call it a core pack so for the most part there was a set um, series of paintings of guns and of home decor items that every banquet got across the country then they would supplement that with maybe some local donations local hunts supplemental items but when you got an item chosen in the core pack that piece would be at every banquet across the country, no, no question. Um, so the Turkey Federation then, so you, like your um, uh, your ticket into the event gave you a membership. 
they would spend money there at the banquet and the local chapter, you know, they feed you, they have drinks, they have all that kind of stuff. And then whatever profit the banquet made went back to the Turkey Federation to support conservation. So they would use that to manage operations at headquarters. They would turn around and deploy that into grants and funding to preserve habitat. When I was there, they were doing a lot of trap and transfer. Mm. So this was the early 2000s. And the, the Turkey Federation was growing rapidly about that time. And, you know, I remember when I was growing up, I remember watching VHS tapes of Rob Keck, like talking about how to call turkeys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, then when I got there, Rob was the CEO. So Rob technically hired me. And the Turkey Federation was still growing rapidly. They were trapping, transferring birds into new areas that hadn't had turkeys in a long time or had never had turkeys. And they were also expanding the banquets. So, you know, when you, when you move turkeys into a new area and they take off and they thrive, you have new turkey hunters, you have banquets, you know, you, it was growing rapidly. So the, the banquet model was very important to the Turkey Federation's growth. Um, since then things have changed, you know, the big thing, the big push then was getting new populations trapped and transferred into new areas and, and, and replenishing populations. Then we hit a massive boom, um, you know, in the mid nineties, early two thousands. And now the big thing is population decline. And some of these States, not all of them, um, and not all areas, not all, total states, it's just parts and and pieces for the most part, have seen some pretty big-time turkey population decline. Mm. Um, From what I can tell, some of them have seen definite decline now, like Zach was talking about Kansas, um, parts of the south, and then some of them the state agencies are just kind of seeing warning signs, like, hey, we need to address this before it's too late. And some people haven't seen it at all. but the big thing now, the, the warning bell is, 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 is turkey populations. Like, do we have a problem? Because we don't go, want to go back to where we were in the, in the 50s, you know. Um, we've seen a big success, a, a great run. We don't want to go back to where it was before. What's the warning signs of population decline? Um, you know, I, I, I am not a biologist, but I regurgitate <laughs> a lot of information. <laughs> That, uh, that I take from podcasts and stuff, but basically just numbers of turkeys. Okay. Um, you know, hunters can tell if, gobble, if gobbling is down and they're not hearing them and they're not seeing them, that's a big one. Um, they're doing a lot of nesting surveys that are make me want to cringe, mm-hmm. honestly. I listen to one, um, I think it's the Wild Turkey Science Podcast, and they were talking about, <clears throat> they did a, they did a, private land nesting survey and I believe they had 200 hens tagged and in some years they have zero percent recruitment Aww. so the and and that is a that is a warning sign now they were also seeing some jakes on the landscape so somewhere somewhere eggs were hatching and turkeys were were multiplying but not in their studies mm. and you start to see some warning signs going off there because if turkeys aren't, if, if hens aren't hatching and, and, and producing new turkeys, you got a problem because we're still shooting them. We're, we're still hunting them. And, um, you know, that can go South real quick if we're not careful. Yeah. So, but you know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons that we can get into that, but, but basically Madison, a, a hen is bred, um, usually before the start of Turkey season that they try to time that to where 
the adult males have a chance to breed the hens before we start hunting them. Um, then she will go and lay eggs. And for a couple weeks, she'll cover up the eggs as she lays them and continue to roost in a tree. And then for, I think it's 28 days, she will fly. She won't roost in trees. She'll sit on the nest and incubate them day and night. And she won't, she'll get up and feed a little bit, but she won't leave that area. So you've got to think about it. Um, these turkeys, they roost in trees to avoid predators. They're really good at, at evading predators as an adult, but there's a month window where that hen is sitting on a nest, laying on the ground and protecting 12 to 15 eggs of the next, uh, generation of turkeys. And that's extremely vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like it's a very, very, very vulnerable, um, time for turkeys. And if we don't handle that right, and there, there's a lot of you know, circumstances we can't control, but if, if that isn't done well, turkey populations can go south quick. Yeah. A couple of bad, bad nesting years. Gotcha. So. Well, you would be, or you would laugh at me because I, I think I saw a turkey breeding the other day after you were trying to show me that video. Yep. <laughs> I was on the way here yep. one morning and I told Zach, I came in and I went, I think I just saw a turkey breeding and Zach's like, no, that's like really rare. And he's like trying <laughs> to pick on me like, there's no way. And I said, no, like I was driving down here on Cranberry, I think, yeah. or whatever the road yeah. is. And there's like a, you know, where all the Christmas tree mm -hmm. valley, valleys are. And I saw like this black circular body and I was like, I think that's a turkey. And then I see another little black body but it was like sitting down and i was like <laughs> okay and then his tail feathers came out so he was strutting around and i kind of stopped mm -hmm. in the road and was just watching him strut for a minute and then all of a sudden i saw his tail <laughs> start going like this and i was like oh i think this is happening okay bye yeah <laughs> and, I, and i and zach was like oh yeah did you see his feathers start going like this and i was like yeah he's like yep that that was happening yep. he was like Cool. I saw that in person. The circle of life. I've seen them do it like on the shoulder of a road before, like a you know two lane highway. That's so gross. That I mean, so uncomfortable. I was like, "There's literally trees over there. Go get a room. Like it's right there. Why are you doing this in the open?" But whatever. Yep. I know we were making fun of this the other day. That's how they do it. I was like, okay. Well, I saw it in real life. But it, it is weird. I mean. I've, um, when I was growing up in the nineties, we were kind of learning how to turkey hunt mm -hmm. together, which I, I took a, I took a picture of when I was turkey hunting in, in Illinois, they would issue these, uh, pins. So they would have turkey and deer pins. And every year you got a turkey, you would, you would, they would, you would go check it in at a station cause they were trying to collect data on them and they would give you a pin. And my dad's earliest pin is 1987. Wow. So that would have really been when, when turkeys got a huntable population in Illinois was 87 and he's gotten every one every year since then. But I remember he killed a Jake on a place. Um, one, one, like, like at noon one day on Friday. And then I shot a Jake the next morning. And that was a big deal. We were kind of like learning to Turkey hunt together because, there weren't, there weren't populations when he was growing up as a kid. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, throughout my formative years has been like the, the, the pinnacle of turkey hunting and the golden age. And now we may have seen a plateau and we're starting to go back downhill and we're trying to course correct that. So, you know, there's a lot of, of, of reasons for that, that we can get into, but, um, it's, it's almost weird to see because, uh, my whole formative years, it was like it, all, all we were doing was having more and more and more turkeys. And the only habitat management we were talking about was how to plant food plots to kill them. Everything in the magazines and outdoor, you know, media was how to kill more turkeys. We weren't doing anything to talk about nesting habitat or brood rearing cover. It was just how to kill more because it's, it's like, this is never going away. And now people are starting to freak out because it, it might go away, you know, if we don't watch it. Do you think, do you see more turkeys here in North Carolina than you do in Illinois? Or like what's, how's that comparison? Um, I haven't seen, I hunted this past week in Illinois for the first time in like a decade. Um, I got a landowner's tag, you know, through, through the farm that we own um, and went back. It was Rhett spring break. So I took my dad and Rhett and that was cool because we can talk about that later, but uh, I haven't been there for a decade in Illinois. I don't think it's really slowed down much. I haven't seen much of a decline here in the mountains. Um, but one thing that I'm going to do personally is we're turning some of this property over into native warm season grasses. Um, I, I've decided that I'm only going to kill a turkey this year if I'm with somebody special like somebody that's important to me because, you know, as a, as a self-employed guy, like I can go slip out on a Tuesday at noon and kill an afternoon bird that I've seen in the same field every day, but I don't really want to do that. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to not hunt, but I'm not going to go kill one by myself just for the satisfaction to do that. I'm going to do it with Rhett. I'm going to take Rhett with me and shoot one when he's there with me or, you know, if a property is typically good for two or three birds a year, I'm going to take I'm going to take a buddy we took Koi earlier. I'm going to take a buddy's son or daughter and take them and give quote unquote, give them that bird. I'm pretending it's my Turkey. It's not my Turkey, <laughs> but like, I'm going to, I'm going to let them shoot it, you know, and I'm not going to shoot it and that's fine. So, you know, I, I killed a bird in Illinois with my brother. We hadn't hunted in a long time together just because we're busy. We got kids and stuff. So I'm not just going to go kill one to kill one which I've always done before, you know, and I had the ability to go do that during the week if I wanted to. So that's sort of my, the governor that I'm going to put on myself this year. Um, just to make sure that they're still there. We've had two long beards in the, in the yard here yes, almost every day. I saw them yeah. <laughs> the other day. Rhett wants me to shoot one so bad. Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, we're there not was gonna do three. That. When I came the, that week that y'all were gone, there was yeah. three and I pulled up and they were down there and I saw them, saw their little red heads walking around. And I was like, and Rachel pulled up as soon as I did. I said, there's three turkeys. And she's like, what? I said, yeah, look, there's three turkeys in the yard. <laughs> and I started walking over to them slowly, but then they saw me and they took off. Yeah. I couldn't get really close. I just wanted to see their body. Yeah. But. There's a lot of clover out here, and yeah. they'll come eat clover and bugs and stuff like that. I didn't but. know they liked grass. Do they don't they, really, like, they don't like grass. Oh. They like forbs. Oh. And so, like, they'll go pick the heads off the clover. They'll eat some clover leaves, but, like, they don't – they won't really eat blades of grass. Yeah. Cole um, keeps talking about, like, putting a salt block or something down. That's Is for that deer. what you call 
Yeah. Well, he said you could do it for turkeys too. Well, they ha- they have some stuff like that. Yeah. You can't I do that during season the, though. I could say that. I could be <laughs> saying the wrong thing. I don't know. But he's like, yeah, I need to go get this and throw some stuff down. Yeah. But I didn't know that. I didn't know they ate corn. They either. eat bugs. They eat, um, you know, they'll eat all, all kinds of invertebrates. They'll eat, you know, snails and caterpillars and little snakes. They um, eat snakes? Yeah. Huh, I did not know They eat all know kinds that. of stuff. I don't think they can digest a skeleton, so they won't eat. I don't think so, anyway. They won't mm. eat, like, a little mouse or something. Gotcha. But they'll Yeah, they'll eat all kinds of bugs and stuff. Grasshoppers are a big one. Mm. So, you know, that that is one of the big reasons. There, there's a lot to it, and nobody really knows for sure what's going on. But, you know, habitat is a huge one. You know, having, having habitat for wild turkeys is a big deal. Did so. you do any kind of habitat work in Illinois no, for that? I oh. did. Um, I did soil samples when I was up there on food plots. But most of the habitat work that I've done on my place in Illinois with Adam and Matt, um, shout out to Land and Legacy, is, um, is we did that in the off season with chainsaws. So we did a select cut walnut harvest on the place. It's 40 acres. That opened up the canopy a lot. Um, we did, we went in and we, we did some TSI and, and cut down a lot of lower value trees to let sunlight in, <coughs> excuse me, smoker's cough. <laughs> and, um, and that is, <coughs> that's allowing sunlight to hit the floor, the forest floor. And, um, and that's producing new vegetation for, for turkeys. Um, that thick stuff provides a lot of nesting cover and brood rearing habitat. So would you say, would you say that you could do like habitat work for like a habitat for turkeys and deer? Like it coincides? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is that? What that saying? Um, I can't remember what's good for the hen is good for the herd or something. There's, there's oh, some really? saying like that. That's cool. Yeah. Turkeys are pretty unique, but a lot of the habitat has a lot of crossover. Okay. A lot of the native grasses, native habitat, um, diversity. So if you go into a place and it looks like a state park or a, a city park, not good. You need all kinds of different levels of vegetation. You need diversity in that landscape. Basically, if it looks pretty, it's not good for wildlife. Really? It needs to be messy. It needs to be like some of this stuff on this hillside when you drive out. That's that's good wildlife habitat. Why? Well, cover. Um, so you've got to think... You know, we live up here, you know, five, six feet off the ground. A turkey basically lives at two to three feet off the ground. And those hens have got to find cover to nest. So they're hiding their nest on the ground, basically, from predators. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like an Easter egg hunt. Like if I take the kids in the backyard and we have the yard perfectly mowed down and there's one little tree out in the middle and I say, hey, kids, go find Easter eggs. Well, where do you think the Easter eggs are going to be? Right. But if that whole grass is all grown up, those eggs could be anywhere. And so those hens need cover to hide their nest from predators. Um, they need brood rearing cover, which those poults, when they hatch, they cannot thermoregulate. They're basically helpless. Like you see the chicks at tractor supply mm-hmm. and they're in the little bin with a heated lamp and wood chips take those things out and throw them in the woods. That's yeah. basically what turkeys are. Like there, there's no way for them to, um, they can get wet real easy because they don't have any outer protective 
cut feathers. They're all down feathers. Mm-hmm. They get wet and cold and freeze like that. Aww. So you've got to have some overhead cover for them. Um, brood rearing cover is basically like bare dirt with plants above it. So they can walk underneath it like the grass out here in the yard. A lot of this fescue, I'm going to get rid of a lot of that because, you know, you just think like a baby chicken trying to walk through that. They're going to get wet. They can't navigate it. They can't do That's all bad for mm-hmm. turkeys. They need to be able to walk on bare dirt, but have enough vegetation to cover them. Um, they need to have places for grasshoppers and bugs and all that kind of stuff. So a mowed yard, terrible for turkeys. A, a mature forest with no undergrowth, terrible for turkeys. Uh, you need a lot of, for turkey poults anyway, um, you need a lot of, of variety. You need a lot of diversity in that. Wow, that's very interesting. And one of the things, I thought I thought about this on the way home from Illinois, but I feel like we live in a day and age where it's like every acre has to have a purpose. So if you're a farmer, every you want every single acre planted. If you're a developer, you want condo units on every single acre that you own. You want to build concrete within 10 feet of your property line. And we kind of live in a day and age where like everything has to have a purpose and we're trying to suck everything we can out of every single acre and wildlife needs some margin. They need some buffer. They need some breathing room. And I feel like that's one of the biggest things I've seen. I've seen farmers do it a lot where they're, they get bored over a winter time and there's a corner of a field that stays wet and they're going to push out the hedgerow between the two fields so that they can farm right up to the edge and get the most production they can out of it. Well, that hedgerow, that brushy hedgerow was your quail, your pheasant habitat, maybe turkey nesting. That was your deer travel corridors. Wildlife need some, some messy, diverse edge habitat. And when we live in a world where everything has to have a purpose, we're taking all that away from them and bit by bit by bit by bit. And I feel like it's going to take, I feel like it's going to take private landowners who want to make a change and implement some of that stuff back in their, in their land is what's really going to do it. You could argue that the land already has a purpose if it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it just, and, and it's going to have to, it's going to have to be people. And, and there's a lot to it, like the government CRP program. So the government will pay, um, farmers to turn some of their row crop production over to native grasses and, 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 and give the, the land a break, let it rest and provide wildlife habitat. Will they pay farmers to do that? So they pay a, they pay a rate to the farmer to take it out of row crop production. And some of that has to make it. I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and say that, you know, every farmer needs to put 10% of their habitat back in wildlife production, but I'm not feeding my kids off of that land either. So it has to make economical sense for everybody. And that's what CRP does is it incentivizes the farmers to pull some out of row crops to have a little bit more buffer um, for wildlife. But it's really going to take landowners making a conscious effort and decision to try to put some of that back in the landscape, to let some of it set, let some of it get brushy, let some of it grow up, let some of it go and just and, and do it for the sake of wildlife um, so that we can have the same populations that we've enjoyed growing up. <laughs> we think, Mad Dog, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. I'm kind of foggy headed too. <laughs> <clears throat> 
but it, 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 you know, there, there's, there, there's like eight podcasts we could do on this and I've listened to a ton, um, on it, but, uh, it, it really is. I feel like it's going to be on the, on the backs of, of, of private landowners, you know, uh, Turkey have Turkey populations are kind of like any societal issue we have today. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of variables to it. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a ton of opinions on it. Um, and at the end of the day, government legislation is not the answer. It's going to have to come on the backs of people that want to do the right thing. It's going to have to be on the backs of private individuals that want to do the right thing and step up and do it. You're not going to be able to legislate it or regulate it. And, you know, you're just going to, we're just going to have to decide as a, as a hunting community that we want to start making the change now to make sure that we've got that resource in the future. So, so Rhett is six. My dad is 63 and it was, it was cool because, um, you know, my brother and, and, and his kids, wife and kids, they live in Kansas city and he works for the chiefs super busy during the fall, during football season, but they have a little bit of wiggle room now. So they came over and met us and, um, it was cool because I got, they, they had to bounce early. So it was just me and Rhett and dad. <coughs> and we went back the night before back behind the house and watched a long beard go to roost. We watched him watch, walk out of the food plot and go into a block of timber. And it was like 10 minutes before fly up time. So we knew he was going to be close there. And so we kind of got a plan. He never did gobble from the roost. So we didn't know exactly what tree he was in, but we knew pretty well where he was going to be. And so got them loaded up. Um, we went back the next morning early. And Rhett's an early riser anyway. He's mm-hmm. he's easy to get out of bed. But, you know, Dad Dad has worked around heavy equipment and farm machinery his whole life. He, um, you know, he was a farmer. He drove a concrete truck in the summer times. Um, and back then, they didn't use hearing protection or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so he, he really can't hear very well, which is hard for turkeys because it, it's hard to, you know, it, it, it's hard to make moves on turkeys and know where to go and where to set up when you can't hear. Mm-hmm. And um, so took him and then Rhett is Rhett. He's six, <laughs> you know. So we have and my dad, my dad is pretty like self-sufficient other than that. Like he's totally mobile and he can shoot. He He's pretty much a dead eye. But um, just can't hear very well. Well, Rhett, he's the opposite. He can hear everything, mm-hmm. but he, I've got to have a little chair to keep him comfortable. We put three cinnamon rolls in a Ziploc bag and a bunch of chocolate milk, and I have to get a. I have to set up a, a little blind. Like I got some camo netting, like military surplus camo netting, which works great. And I've got to keep him kind of comfortable and and not fidgety and and quiet, which is hard. So, um, so we get set up and this, this bird starts gobbling in the dark. It was still really early and some hens start cutting sort of between us. And I'm thinking, oh crap, this is going to be hard. You know, this, those hens can go to him and they can go the other way pretty easy. Well, Rhett had a cough that morning. My dad had a cough that morning. So my strategy was to cut on my mouth call every time they coughed to cover him. (laughs) And I basically cut about every three minutes from for forty five minutes. I was I they they say like not to 
you know, not to call too much to a turkey on the roost. And I was just freaking cutting the whole morning <laughs> just to cover their coughs. And thankfully, the hens flew off in a different direction, flew off on a different ridge. And he, he probably gobbled 40, 50 times on the roost. And then then you hear him fly down. He was close enough gobbling, you could hear him fly down. And then he gobbles at like 50 yards. And it's like, all right, game over. Like, we got him. We're mm-hmm. done. And, um, you know, w- within five seconds, I, w- I was filming the whole thing with my phone. And uh, we could see him coming through. And uh, Dad shot him at like, I don't know, 15 yards. But Rhett thought it was the Rhett thought it was the coolest thing. Oh, and um, but it was funny because you know walking out, I'm carrying all Rhett's stuff, his chair. <laughs> I've got Dad's turkey, and I'm like completely caught in the middle. You know, I'm <laughs> the guy that has to like carry everything, everything. and everybody's stuff. But it it was really cool, and it was it it was even better because I mean this was only 40 yards from where I killed my first turkey. And so to think about, you know, in 1993, I killed my first turkey there in that one spot, and it's kind of been good ever since then, you know. And it it, it really is a, a cool experience to to shoot one and to think about the story of you killing your first turkey, which was not nearly as cool because we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we sat we sat in a brush pile for four hours. Like, wow. we didn't know what we were doing. So there was no running and gunning and calling. We literally sat, and this was like, we basically like cluck, 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 purr, purr, yelp, 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 every 15 minutes on a slate call. And that's just what we did. We kind of deer hunted them. And finally at 10 o'clock in the morning, a group of three jakes came through, and I shot one with a single-shot 20-gauge. And I can't imagine sitting four hours for a turkey now. I'd never freaking do it. It's like, screw that. I got better stuff to do. I'm going to come back tomorrow. But, um, yeah, back in the day, that's we didn't know any better, so that's what we did. See, I expected that's what you did. Is that you don't do? How long do you sit there then? Well, I mean, th- so this the hunt with with Rhett and my dad was over before the sun came up. I mean, realistically, we were at the base of the tree for 45 minutes, but twenty, thirty of that is waiting on the sun to come up. You just you just get in the, in the dark so they can't see you mm-hmm. and set up there, and you try to be as quiet as you can. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times you'll move around, you'll hear a turkey gobble, you'll move in on them and try to set up and, and shoot him. Um, that's called running and gunning. Um, deer hunting them is where it's like, well, I always see turkeys in the back corner of that field. So I'm going to set my decoys out on a blind or brush in at the base of a tree and I'm going to wait until one comes in. And that works too. It's just not as much fun. That's how my grandfather does it. Yeah. <laughs> He told me the other day, he's like, I can't see anymore. Yep. You're going to have to shoot my gobbler. <laughs> I'll call him for you. And I was like, okay, when are you going? And he like has not told me when he's yeah. going. <laughs> but yeah, that's what he does. He just, that's how he hunts anything. He just sits there. And so I'm like, oh, that's how I expected you that's to That's how a lot of the old, older guys do it. And again, back to populations like – you can't run and gun if there's not turkeys everywhere. Right. You know, I mean, a lot of them probably did have to sit and, and, and wait on them. Mm. But, you know, I've hunted some places where we're spoiled to have turkeys, and if one isn't going to work right or we don't think it's going to happen, we leave in a half an hour and go somewhere else wow. and try to find another one. Um, and a lot of times, one thing I love about hunting in the mountains here is that 
uh, you can use the terrain to get closer. So you can spot a turkey, and typically in these mountains and hills and rolling pastures, you can sneak with, to within 100 yards of him, no problem, and then sit down and give him a soft yelp, and here he comes. Hmm. That's kind of how I like to do it. What's the – I'm I'm sure there's several different kinds of turkey calls. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen the scraper. What, the slate. Slate, yeah. yeah. And then the mouth one, right? Yeah, the diaphragm. Is there another kind? Oh, there's box call. Um, and that's what I let Rhett do. Mm. So, and, and I like to keep it fun with Rhett. Um, this was the first, admittedly, this was the first time I ever got on to him. Like, you got to sit still and you got to shut up. Like, Rhett, <laughs> quit moving. Yeah. Quit coughing. Quit moving. If you want to see Papa kill this turkey, you got to stop. You yeah. got to quit moving, man. Um, <laughs> because we were in on him in the roost, you know. But a lot of times I like to kind of keep it fun with Rhett. I let him run the box call. You know, if he wants to run it and I let him wear that thing out, like I don't, <laughs> you know, he needs to learn, he needs to make some mistakes just like I did. And I don't really want to, I don't want to hunt with him out of a blind. You know, that's kind of the thing is to like take your kid and let him sleep in the corner of the blind. And when a turkey comes in, you wake him up and sit him on your lap and aim the gun for him and they pull the trigger. And I'm just not going to do that with him. Um, I want him to know what he's doing. I want him to be able to handle the gun. I want to know that like, if he's going to take a life, like it's a big deal and he's got to know how to do it. And he's got to be a big enough boy to, to handle that. Like it's a, it's a responsibility that he's got to do and I'm not going to do it for him. Um, so we're not, we're not going to hunt much from a blind. I want him to see the sunrise and, and hear everything and see everything. I want him to spook some turkeys and realize that like, dude, if you move, you're going to spook a turkey, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I want him to call too much. I want him to, I want him to make all the mistakes that I made and, and have fun doing it. And so I let him run a box call and that kid can wear out a box call. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, (laughs) it's like, bro, that thing is smoking, man. Uh, but it's cool. We, I took him out later in the day with dad. Um, and, and I kind of let Rhett direct the hunt. Like, Hey man, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to set up against this tree and, and, and call to him and wait. I was like, okay, let's do it. You know? So we sat up there and, um, sat there and, and called and, you know, a lot of six year old and red has a competitive driven streak in him, just like his dad. And I, I get it. So I'm not going to squelch that in him, but you know, we sat there for 10 minutes and didn't hear anything. I was like, man, you want to go try somewhere else? He's like, no, I want to sit here and wait and call. I was like, all right, bro, let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it, man. And so, um, that's what we did. And if any Turkey was in within a hundred yards, he got his eardrums blown out by Rhett running that box call. (laughs) But I love that. You know, I, I want him to, I don't want to teach him how to do everything flawlessly the way that I do it. You know, I want him to learn. I want him to push and who knows, maybe he'll find a better way than I know how. It's like that episode of Yellowstone when the grandson killed the deer and they're like you have to thank him for his meat or whatever that's the vision i have of you and red <laughs> kill something and you'd be like okay you have to like wear his blood or whatever <laughs> no we won't do that but he he is i i just you know and and everybody does it their own way the the, the thing you learn about parenting is like don't judge, you know, <laughs> yeah. like we've sat here and everybody says, I'll never do that. I'll never give my kid an iPad. I'll never do this. I'll never be the parent. 
And dude, you're going to be that freaking <laughs> Just wait. Yeah, my parents say that to me all the time. Yes. I'll be like, I will never. <laughs> She's like, You can just say wait. whatever you want. <laughs> my mom will be like, just wait. And then you'll hit, you'll hit a breaking point where you can't handle it anymore. And you'll give that kid four iPads and an ice cream cone. And if yeah. it'll shut them up, <laughs> yeah. you know, you just, you just, you do the best you can. And so, you know, I've seen people taking their three-year-olds out turkey hunting. That's Brooklyn's age. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's crazy. But hey, you do you, you mm-hmm. know, if that kid can handle it and that's how you want to do it, that's totally fine. I'm not going to judge. Yeah. I'm not perfect parent by <laughs> any means. But, um, I think, I think a lot of it varies kid to kid too. You know, I mean, some kids are bigger and stronger and more mature. Some kids are not. Um, you know, I'm trying to teach Rhett, like I I'll catch him every now and then leaving his BB gun out by the pond out there and it'll sit for two days and I'll see that thing. I'll say, Hey man. You need to go take that gun. I was like, you can't, you are not going to go turkey hunting and deer hunting with me and carry a gun unless you can prove to me that you can take care of a gun. Mm -hmm. I said, if I see that BB gun out there, you're not going to get a 410. You're not going to get a 20 gauge. And so he's got to learn that kind of stuff. Yeah. um, Before I'm going to turn him loose on anything. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you think he'll ever hunt a bow? Oh, yeah. Rhett loves to hunt, but one of his favorite things to do is shoot 3D tournaments with me not tournaments but like there's a course over in mountain city um and we'll go shoot and he loves it that's fun well well time to land the plane yeah (laughs) well uh this was episode number six Six. we got sketch drop behind us oh yeah thankfully (laughs) with another one coming in a couple months yep um we appreciate it and um yeah check Check us out out on youtube YouTube. yep (laughs) YouTube. Instagram. (laughs) Yep. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. (laughs)